Well, good morning. I invite you to open your Bible this morning. You're going to need it. I want to give you a, a warning here at the beginning. This is a high scripture content message. And so uh, I'm going to frustrate some of you that are great note takers because I'm going to challenge your ability to take notes here this morning. We've even provided a link on our live page that gives you an outline to the sermon this morning because we're going to be going so quickly here this morning. And let me just first of all uh, call your attention to the fact of how intentional we are trying to be to connect with you. I think you see that in everything we're doing in this room this morning. And uh, we want to invite you to be as intentional with us as we're trying to be with you to uh, continue to stay connected as a virtual gathering in this really strange season. And so we're trying to remove every obstacle for you to connect with us. And that's why we invite you to use that, uh, that online register that we've provided for you there, My Gospel city.org slash Sunday. We really want to be able to, to hear what's going on in your heart. And so give us those prayer requests and communicate back to us. We also want to make it really easy for you to give. And uh, that's why we've provided this link, so many ways to, to give back to the Lord. And I want to just say, I know some of you this week have lost a job. Some of you have lost income. Some of you are facing financial uncertainty for the future. And um, of course, you may be asking the question, how's that affecting the church? Certainly it's affecting the church, but I have to tell you, I have to report that the Lord has been so good through the generosity and the faithfulness faithfulness of his people. Uh, We are doing fine, thanks to your generosity. And so more details about that coming up later. We'll give you a congregational update as we've heard uh, before. And this morning... I just want to take the opportunity to try to address the one question that everybody is asking. And it's simply this, what is God doing through the coronavirus? It's amazing how a microorganism, one billionth of the size of a human being can create so many good questions about God, about the Bible. Uh, My mom even last week was discussing with a friend and the question was raised, does the Bible say anything about the coronavirus? I mean, is this the end of the world? Is this the fulfillment of some prophetic apocalyptic literature that we read about in certain places. And I just want to say to you, the Bible does address that question. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try briefly just to boil it down to five things that I see that God is doing. But let me just say this first of all, um, it really doesn't matter what my take is on that question. Um, God is not silent. And we can be sure that he is doing some things as he has always done in all kinds of situations. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm an information junkie. I, I like to tune in every afternoon when the, the daily coronavirus task force comes on and, and hear from President Trump and, and Vice President um, Pence and Fauci and Burks and Holcomb and the CDC. I devour all of that stuff. Um, I heard someone say this week, we are living in a time of information overload, and yet uh, we are in a time that we are starving for wisdom. 
And so we want to find wisdom in the midst of all that. Um, this week um, was released a book that's really helped me uh, put my mind in a good place in answering that question. It's by Pastor John Piper. The book is called Coronavirus in Christ. And I'll just let you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be sharing right here, I gleaned from that book. Uh, we've even provided a book, uh, a, a link to that book. It's a free download right now at desiringgod.org. Free audiobook, free PDF there. And I want to encourage you, uh, before you try to wrap your mind around whatever information is out there on YouTube and, and whatever information other people are telling you, whatever speculative things are being said, could I just invite you to wrap your mind around that book? Pastor John's given us some real insight in that book. Uh, listen, God is not obligated to reveal to us what he is doing. As a matter of fact, God is always doing a billion things that we are completely unaware of. And if we were aware of them, our minds wouldn't be able to comprehend comprehend what he is doing. Uh, his ways are inscrutable and unsearchable, the scripture says. And yet there are some times that he speaks to us very, very clearly. And I just want to let you know, the place that he speaks to us is in his written word. We don't have to speculate or imagine. We don't have to wait on some prophecy or dream or imagining, we can simply open God's word and, and God tells us his will and his ways. Uh, my son, Zach, is a, a senior at Cedarville uh, University. And of course, like every other college student, he's been sent home. He's not going to get to finish his last semester. He's going to have a virtual graduation. It's kind of a sad time for, for high school and college seniors during this time. But he's got a peer group there at the school, and he and his uh, group got together. And uh, over 100 of these college students got together and said, here's what we're going to do during these days where we are in lockdown. They have decided they're going to read through every word of the Bible in 61 days, kind of Bible speed reading. They challenged me to join them and I do not like to speed read the Bible. I like to devour the words and contemplate every word, but I've uh, come into their challenge and I'm speed reading through the Bible. And what I am finding there is that God is doing today what God has always done. He is reigning sovereignly and he's revealed his sovereign ways to us in the pages of scripture. So I want to take you to the scripture this morning. I hope you have a copy. And here's what the first thing that we're going to learn that God is doing through the coronavirus. First of all, God is opening our ears to his written word. And I want you to see this here from Psalm 119, just a couple of verses, Psalm 119, 67, and then verse 71. This is what he says. Before before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Notice the sequencing there. There was a season in this man's life where he went astray and the season that he identified he was going astray was in a season of good times before he was afflicted. And if you're like me, when there's money in the bank, and my health is doing just fine, and all my relationships are good, everybody thinks I'm wonderful, that's the tendency, that's the time in my life I have a tendency to stray from the Lord. And that's what the psalmist says here. But then in verse 71, he tells us something that happened. He says, 
it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Do you understand? There are some things that can only be learned during seasons of affliction. I don't know about you, when I was in school, a lot of times I wasn't really paying attention attention in class to the teacher until the teacher said, this is going to be on the test. And that's the point at which I sat up straight, I took a pencil and I wrote down what I was learning because I knew there was gonna be a test. This season is a test for us for how much we have been paying attention to all of the Bible teaching and all of the Bible reading we have ever done. When I was afflicted, that's when I paid attention to God's word. The Bible is simply the self-disclosure of Almighty God. God is transcendent. He has to condescend even to speak to us, to enter into human affairs. And yet that's what he has done and he's recorded that for us on the pages of scripture, the way that he's always worked. And the more familiar you are with your Bible, the less prone you will be to be fearful in times of affliction or to be angry during times of affliction. Simply to know that the unfolding nature and revelation of God has taken place in some of the most difficult seasons in human history. You know that in the first few pages of the Bible, sickness entered into the world because of sin. We eventually get over to the book of Exodus and God uses sickness, a plague, to set his people free from the power of Egypt. We get over to Leviticus chapter 13 and chapter 14 and we find that God gives a quarantine to the people. We keep reading in our Bibles and we eventually get over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. And if you've been a part of Gospel City Church for the past couple of years, we've been marching verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician. And the overarching theme that Dr. Luke gives us in that gospel is Jesus has authority over sin and sickness. As the physician Luke records over and over the number of times that Jesus went to those who were sick and entered into suffering and transcended and changed the course of those who were sick. And I realize right now, There is so much angst. Those of you that are feeling fearful, some of you have been labeled non-essential. Some of you are angry at governors and presidents and laws because you're unable to work. Could I just take this opportunity right now to saturate your heart and your mind with some of the words of God. As a matter of fact, I just wanna invite you right now, as much as you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and listen as I read from God's word. Just several of the Psalms. Listen carefully to what God says to your heart. Psalm four, verse eight, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. 
The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. O Lord, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 16, verses eight and nine. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. Psalm 18, verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. And then Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. During these seasons, when it is so difficult to wrap our minds around what God is doing, it is a time for the word of the Lord to become sweet to us, a balm to our sin-sick hearts, and maybe even the sickness in our body. During these days, I hope God's word is becoming for you the same as what it became for Jeremiah in chapter 15, verse 16. He says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. So let this be a season where you sit and read and listen and contemplate and meditate on the sweetness of God's word. God is using the coronavirus to turn our ears back to his word. Secondly, let me say that God is exercising his sovereign rule over all things. Read this verse from Daniel chapter four, verses 35 and 41. He, God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the, heaven, the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You really don't want to ask that question in an accusative sense toward God. We can ask that question in an inquisitive sense. God, I really wanna learn everything that you have for me during this season. What have you done? Not, God, I lost my job. What have you done? God, I I'm sick. What are you doing? As if you know better. Please understand, the sovereign rule of God means that God is all governing while at the same time, he is all wise and he is all good. You see, the thought that God is all governing brings no comfort unless he is also all wise and all good. And the thought that God is all wise and is all good brings no comfort unless I believe that God is all governing. God is doing today the same thing that he has always been doing. 
He is sovereignly ruling and controlling all things in the universe, including the coronavirus. God acts with infinite wisdom. God acts with complete power and God always is kind and loving in all that he does. Even with the coronavirus, God governs it, God uses it, and when God's purposes have been fulfilled, God will end it, but not before his purposes have been fulfilled. R.C. Sproul, the pastor and theologian said this, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. You can be sure that not one microorganism moves, not one micromillimeter without God's sovereign control and direction. And if God has allowed and orchestrated this season, we can take comfort that God has good purposes behind its design. And he's not obligated to tell me in the moment what his design is. And yet, it should bring rest to my soul. The sovereign rule of God means that he not only allows things that cause grief, but he orchestrates things that cause grief to accomplish his good purposes. Now, without believing that, the human mind end up, ends up with a moral dilemma that it can't reconcile as it thinks about God. But again, all we have to do is go to the pages of Scripture to see how God has worked in human history. The last 11 chapters of the first book of the Bible narrates for us the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph, completely innocent, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was wrongly accused, he was imprisoned and forgotten. And then God used all of that to actually put him in a position of power in Egypt during a time of great famine. And then his brothers show back up, remember the guys that sold him into slavery? And Joseph at that point has the power to take vengeance on these guys, he doesn't do it. Instead, do you know what he says to them? One of the most important verses to believe during a crisis. This is what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now notice it doesn't say God used it for good, it's not as if God entered into somebody else's mess and had to clean it up. God orchestrated it all for purposes that were specific to bringing good. And we can trust that he is doing the same in the midst of our affliction. The sovereign rule of God is the hope that sustains us in seasons of suffering. Pastor John Piper puts it this way. 
the same sovereignty that could stop the coronavirus, yet doesn't, is the very sovereignty that sustains the soul in it. If we try to rescue God from his sovereignty over suffering, we sacrifice his sovereignty to turn all things to good. God's sovereignty is not just some doctrinal reality that's recorded in the pages of human history. It is the comfort that we race to in seasons of suffering. I'm aware of a family in our church that is right now dealing with a couple of children in their home, young children who have actually tested positive for the coronavirus. And I just uh, contacted my friend in the church last night and expressed our concern and, and our prayers for his family. He texted this back to me, and this is what he says. God is faithful and has spared us a lot of the worst of this. Fevers, rough cough, earaches in the youngest, bad headaches, fatigue, lung congestion in the rest of us. Two truths are very clear and have always been true until some version of crisis and calamity strikes and puts it back in front of us in our perspective. Number one, our physical life is temporary. We're all going to die. Number two, we are not in ultimate control. Even so, our momentary affliction pales in comparison to the glory that is waiting for us. That's a good perspective. It's God's sovereignty that helps us understand, I don't have to control this, I can't control this. These are seasons when God strips away the illusion of control that we have. Here's the third thing that God is doing through the coronavirus. God is teaching us to rely on him alone. We say that we rely on him, we say we put our trust in him, but it's not until seasons of testing like this that that is actually proven to be true. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses eight and nine. The words that I'm about to read to you are written by the most godly man, the deepest theologian, the, the one who most boldly preached the gospel, planted churches, and it was this man who wrote these words, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Do you hear what he's saying? He didn't want to live anymore. He, he sounds suicidal. But what kept him alive? What kept him pursuing Christ in the midst of his affliction? Listen to what he says. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In the midst of this crisis, God is removing every other thing that we have ever relied upon other than Christ himself. I like to say he's decapitating the idols. 
He's decapitating our idols of dependence upon government. If you find yourself uh, getting angry at a governor or, or, or trying to control or, or complain about those who seemingly have some power to do something about this or maybe the healthcare system or, or, or maybe your boss that, that is controlling paychecks. Listen, and if you're looking to those things to, to be your saviors in the midst of this, listen, those are poor substitutes for Christ. We need to rely on Christ himself. I even challenged our team here this morning that, you know, it, it, we've proven that the church is not dependent upon a building. But could it be that we have now just transferred, transferred our reliance upon a gathering place to online technology and all the things that we can do on technology? We don't want to be re reliant upon technology. We want to be reliant completely upon Christ. And as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You could probably list all the things that you have lost during this season. Some of you have lost your health. Some of you have lost a job, some of you have lost your income, some of you have lost precious friendships, we've lost freedom. Some of, some of you are losing your minds because of how this has forced you to have to homeschool or parent and you can't get away in some sense from people that are causing stress. But listen, until we get to the point where we can count all that we have lost as gain because it has taught us that our reliance is completely upon Christ, then we have not yet learned everything God wants to teach us through the coronavirus. No matter how quickly things open back up, let's make sure that we don't miss the opportunity to increase our reliance on Christ and Christ alone. As I've reflected during this season for what, what's the impact upon our church, I remember how God in his sovereignty, as we were planting our church in 2008, as we were pulling the core team together, as we were praying that God would provide all the funds that would be necessary to launch the church, it was in the midst of that that the financial crisis of the fall of 2008 hit and sent us into, up until that time, the worst financial crisis that we'd known. And here we are again. And I rest assured that God has the ability to carry us through this season as well. As a matter of fact, I can't wait to tell you all the great things that God is doing in accelerating the disciple-making ministries of our church and the way our small groups are leaning into one another and connecting to care for one another in community. Don't let this Sunday morning push of information be a substitute for the thing that we rely upon the most. It is Christ and he is the one who gives us the ability to endure such things. Number four, God is calling us to repentance. If you were paying attention a few months ago as we were going verse by verse through the gospel of Luke, we got to a familiar story in Luke chapter 13. 
And I hope you were paying attention because I believe God was preparing us then for what we're going through now. In Luke chapter 13, two stories are told. One of how uh, a Roman governor was persecuting uh, religious leaders and followers there and had actually uh, uh, killed those that were uh, committed to the Lord. And then the second story is of a tower that randomly fell in a square and killed 18 people. In that context, people came to Jesus and they asked him this question. They said, were these people more sinful? Is, is that why the tower fell on them? In other words, was this some judgment of God that was falling upon them? And Jesus turned to them and simply said, no, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus was saying this, is, is this a judgment from God? People have asked this, is America judging God through the coronavirus? Is America judging us? Well, the answer to that question is the, the entire creation has been under the judgment of God since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Yes, we are all under the judgment of God. That's why we get sick and die. That's why we need a savior to rescue us from the judgment of God. And a proper understanding of the, the heartache and the pain, the sickness, and even the coronavirus leads us to a place where Jesus looks at us and says, don't you understand? All the pain in the world is for a redemptive purpose to turn you back from sin that brings such heartache and sickness and ultimately death. So the message of God for all of us in this season is to examine our hearts for sin. What is sin? Sin is what causes God to exercise social distancing from us. He, he doesn't want to be and can't be around sin because God is holy. And the same attitude that God has towards sin should be our attitude attitude towards sin. The social distancing orders is a picture for the way that we should treat sin in our lives. You, we shouldn't come any closer than six feet to sin because it is so deadly. It is so corrupting. John Piper says this in his book. He says, the coronavirus is a physical picture of the moral horror of spiritual ugliness of God belittling sin. Our hearts should be to examine what is it in my life that would cause God to distance himself from me? What is it that I need to distance myself from that is actually contaminating the holiness of Christ that he wants to produce in me? And listen, Jesus is coming soon. And when Jesus comes, the opportunity to repent of sin will be over. So take the opportunity now to search your heart, to see if there is any wicked way in you and distance yourself from the very thing that creates 
things like coronavirus. Here's the last thing we want to talk about this morning. What is God doing through the coronavirus? God is deploying his church to demonstrate merciful compassion. Galatians 6.10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You say, I'm not sure I have the opportunity. Yes, we have opportunity all around us. This is a season when people's ears are open to hear and there's, there's need around you. You know of people that may have lost jobs and people that, that need to be cared for and need to be prayed for and ultimately need the gospel. They need the hope that lies within us to set our eyes on things that are above. Piper tells the story in his book about two great plagues that struck the Roman Empire in the years AD 165 and AD 251, just a couple of hundred years after Christ was on the earth and established his church. Outside of the Christian church at that time, there was no cultural or religious foundation for mercy or sacrifice. Therefore, while a third of the empire was perishing from this disease, physicians fled their country to their country estates. Those with symptoms were cast out of their homes. Priests forsook their temples, but large numbers of Christians cared for the sick and the dying. Toward the end of the second plague, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria wrote a letter extolling the members of his church, and this is what he said. Most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy. To minister to the sick in those days many times meant they lost their lives as well, and yet they did it with a joy in their hearts as they served Christ. Over time, this counterculture, this Christ-sustained care for the sick and the poor had an effect of winning many people in the Roman Empire away from the surrounding paganism. 200 years later, the Roman Emperor Julian saw Christianity as a rapidly growing threat to his Roman Empire. Why? We find out in a letter that he wrote to the Roman high priest in Galatia, in frustration, this is what he said. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the, for the burial of the dead. It, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Do you understand how the church mobilizes and moves to the place of need is the greatest statement that the gospel that we believe is real. It becomes attractional to those who have blind eyes toward the things that we say that we believe. Just stating propositional truths about the gospel, just adorning the gospel is not enough. It is the gospel that causes us to live sent. 
And though the gatherings of Gospel City Church are suspended right now, the mission of Gospel City Church is not. This is a time for us to look for ways to serve others, to be others focused while we are God-centered on the good news that God, also, that God offers through the gospel. First Peter chapter two, verse 12 simply says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You know what that means? We can't be complaining. We can't be groaning. We can't be self-pitying ourselves. We need to keep our conversation and our conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Whatever season we're in, this is certainly a day where God is speaking to us through the coronavirus. And I want to encourage you during this season to examine your hearts to go to God's word, to allow his spirit to bring a supernatural comfort, a calm, and even a joy, and even a courage to move into places where the need is the greatest. Why don't we bow our heads together in prayer? I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that God would give you very specific points of action to take away. Let's don't waste this season, let's pray together. Father God, we couldn't pretend to know all that you were doing through the circumstances we're facing right now. And Lord, we don't minimize the evil that we see around us. We don't minimize the, the judgment calls that our human leaders are making. We pray for them to, to have your wisdom. And most of all, we believe that your wisdom transcends those that hold positions of power. We know that from Proverbs chapter 21, you hold the heart of the king in your hand and you direct it wherever you want it to go. It's a demonstration of your sovereignty and we rest in that this morning. Would you strengthen our faith? Would you forgive us? for trying to control things that ultimately only you control. You are good. You are in control. And because of knowing those things, we can trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.